0: Only a beer. Mr. Bryson, you were talking about how you did policy debate in college, is that right? Yeah, it is. I debated uh, at Piedmont
1: College, which is a small liberal arts school down in uh, northeast Georgia. And uh, I debated several topics that had to do with Chinese policy or foreign policy related to China. Uh, agriculture, and what else did I do? Oh, yeah, it was European policy uh, having to do with national defense in Europe.
0: So all policy debate.
1: But all policy debate. All in on policy, all okay. The fast po- all the fast-talking policy debate. Yeah,
0: were you able to spread, too? Could you talk really fast?
1: Yeah, I didn't like that part of it, but you sort of have to play the game at some point. But, I, you know, I was, I was a fast talker. But you hear the accent, right? Like, I, I can only talk so fast with a southern accent like this. But, yeah, I, I did have to talk fast. But there were a lot of people, and most people were faster than me.
0: All right. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res. My name is Ethan Delves, and my guest today is Donald Bryson. He's the president and CEO of the Civitas Institute. That institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan policy organization dedicated to removing barriers to freedom for North Carolinians. He's been the CEO and president of the Civitas Institute since 2018, and from 2014 to 2018, he was the state director for Amer- of Americans for Prosperity in North Carolina. He's involved. He's been involved in, in North Carolina politics for many years, and today he is the content lecturer for Luddy Debate League's first tournament of the 20. 2019- 2019-2020 seasons. So Donald, welcome to What's the Res. Oh, awesome. Thanks Thank for for me here. So tell us a little bit about the Civitas Institute. What's What role do you play? What kind of things does your institute do exactly? Sure. So the Civitas
1: Institute, uh, next year in 2020, we'll be going to our 15th year. So we started in 2005. Uh, we're a, a state-based public policy think tank. Uh, obviously, we focus on state policy. Uh, specifically, we focus on uh, tax policy, which is why I'm here talking about tax policy and tax credits today. Uh, We also focus on education policy, specifically within that on school choice, vouchers, charter schools, homeschool, and that sort of thing. Uh, And then we also, uh, uh, I think this is unique among state policy groups, we have an analyst and researcher, uh, Dr. Andy Jackson, focuses on elections law. So things like voter ID and how do we vote in North Carolina. And by, by how we vote, I mean, you know, do we do electronic voting versus paper ballots, and what are the implications on that? What does turnout look like in different areas, and that sort of thing? Uh, and that's that's a very unique thing we do at
0: Civitas. Okay, so that's a lot of different things for sure. It is. Yeah, and you said that you were affiliated with AEI, uh, the National Institute, as well. Like, sure. So the American Enterprise like? Institute
1: is a is a national think tank based in Washington, D.C. Uh, I was invited uh, earlier this year actually to be part of their leadership network, where they get sort of mid-career executive levels to come in and, and talk about. About, uh, how to create a more civil society and better debate, but more from a conservative perspective, and they provide a lot of good training and content, and I really enjoyed uh, my partnership with AEI. Yeah,
0: they, they have really good content. I cite them for my debate cases all the time, which is why I'm asking. They do. To, yeah.
1: They have really great content, and uh, I'll, I'll even put a plug in. Robert Brooks, or not Robert Brooks, Arthur Brooks, uh, uh, just left as their president, and he'd been there for several years, and uh, he, he left to do a lot of other things, but he uh, has a documentary that just came out, uh, on Netflix, so if people have Netflix, they can go and look up The Pursuit, okay. uh, which is a spin, a uh, riff on The Pursuit of Happiness, and he talks about sort of the moral case for capitalism. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that it. sounds really interesting. So when you're talking about the Civitas Institute, I'm wondering what, what kind of goals do you guys have, because you said there's so many different things that you focus on, mm-hmm. and school vouchers caught my eye, too, because we... Um, We've actually had a resolution for the Luddy Debate League tournament sure. on school vouchers. So okay. what's the goal? What's your goal for um, the state and for so, the so nation? Our, our, stated,
1: our stated mission is that we fight to remove barriers to freedom so that all North Carolinians can live the life they want to live. Uh, and uh, barriers to freedom typically, typically come from uh, government overreach. And so we try to find ways that uh, you know, we can uh, equip people with freedom uh, and so, uh, to, to remove state government uh, out of the way and out of their life, and that state government will only provide sort of the core service they need to protect people's rights. We believe that that is the role of government uh, rather than to uh, create rights uh, and provide non essential services to
0: people. Okay, so that, so does that process look like? Does that involve legal implications with the with the state? Or I'm really interested in like how exactly that plays out for different sorts sure, of things.
1: Sure, sure. So we are a think tank. So a lot of what we do is policy anal- uh, analysis. Um, and so tax policy is a good example of where uh, we produced a couple of academic study- studies over the past few years uh, on how North Carolina can change its tax environment and change its tax code. Uh, and those sort of are, are the impetus that spurred debate. Uh, as we go on, there was a professor at George Mason University, uh, Dr. Rich Fink. He's not at George Mason anymore, uh, but he uh, he came up with a thing called uh, the uh, – oh, my gosh, I have got the name of it. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. The, the, the idea is how do we change public policy and how do we change culture uh, in – well, in a democracy or in a republic. And the idea is that ideas typically start with academics and who write these really long papers and dissertations that nobody reads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then it filters down to sort of a think tank uh, level who break it down into analysis and shorter things. Uh, and eventually that goes through either uh, a grassroots filter where citizens read it and push lawmakers to do it or it goes directly to, to lawmakers. And that's sort of the role that we see ourselves in, that our primary audience are sort of those grassroots, very engaged citizens who will read our papers and and talk to their elected officials, but then we also talk to elected officials as well about the ideas. And they may not go 100% with all of our policy references, but if they go with 80%, uh, you know, I think that's a lot of progress. Okay. Uh, And I think we've seen that a lot in tax policy in North Carolina over the past few years where now, we had you know, a multi-tiered tax system uh, with some of the highest taxes in the Southeast, where now we have some of the lowest taxes in the country, particularly on corporate taxes, and some of the lowest taxes in the Southeast on personal income taxes. Uh, and from that, we've seen sort of a revival of the North Carolina economy, where in 2008, I think sort of at the height of the Great Recession, we had the third highest unemployment rate in the country at 11.5%. Wow. Yeah. And now we're hovering around the national average, and the national average is exceptionally low, uh, we're around 4%, uh, but economists will tell you that you know, any unemployment rate below 5% is essentially total employment.
0: Wow. Uh, and so About we're doing pretty good right now. Yeah, we are doing really good. And I know North Carolina has been consistently reducing its corporate tax rate over time as well. And now we're at 2.5%. 2.5%. So okay.
1: there are states that don't have a corporate tax rate, but of okay. the states that do, we have the lowest in the country now.
0: Okay. And you would say that that blanket policy, as opposed to tax, something like targeted tax incentives is better for economic development than, I think than, it tax, is. than targeted I, tax incentives. I, I think
1: it absolutely is. The, the problem is that, you know, uh, elected officials have to get reelected, right? And so right. they need some attention. And so when companies are able to to create two and three jobs here and four and five jobs there. There's no uh, you know, big event to go to. There's no ribbon to the cut. Ribbon and scissors? The, yeah, ribbon yeah. and scissors. There's no way to, to get out in front of uh, a reporter. Uh, but when they get to do this one targeted tax break to Amazon for $2 billion, well, that's a really big announcement. And obviously, I had a big hand in that. Yeah. Uh, and But the problem with these incentives is that it's some sort of perverse vote-buying scheme. Uh, and I, I don't think that's how taxes should be used. Taxes should be used... Uh, one, very sparingly, because uh, people work hard for the money that they have. And right. We shouldn't take all of that. Uh, we should take the minimal amount to, to produce the core government services that we need. And two, it's about fairness. Um, you know, Just because Amazon has better lobbyists than Joe's Hardware on Main Street doesn't mean that the jobs on Joe's Main Street aren't as important to the people that work
0: at Joe's right. Hardware. And North Carolina has such a diverse economy, too. I was looking at a list the other day. <laughs> we have a lot of different in- industries here, because I saw something out plastics we have aerospace tons of research and development in rtp and agriculture as well so we we have a lot of small businesses i would say that man i can see your unfairness point really well because it's it's re- it really isn't fair to offer those large corporations just because they have better lobbyists as well.
1: All right, Well, that, that means that at some point the government has made the, the moral implication that some jobs are more important than others, and I don't think that that's the role of the government to do that.
0: And is the Civitas Institute, would you say, being the middleman in between those academics that write those really long dissertations, and you <laughs> read those and and make the Civitas articles and, and distribute inter- information to those grassroots areas you were talking about, is that a way or may perhaps a solution to these voter issues that we see where voters want to vote for the, the ribbon and scissors. We see these big events. Do you think that the information that the Civitas Institute gives to the public would aid in helping voters make more long-term beneficial decisions?
1: I, I think so. Uh, you know, we, we obviously, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization and we don't get involved in elections, but we do think that if people are going to vote for the people who vote on public policy, which are our elected officials, that the voters themselves should be uh, uh, instructed on in public policy. And so in that way, we think, uh, you know, we're doing a pretty good job. We, you know, obviously, we're active on our website. Everybody has an active website. Uh, but we also uh, have a podcast of our own called Civitalk. If really? If you want to look at it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Just uh, everyone go want, look at Civitalk. Yeah, if you want to come down and, and record sometime, you're more than welcome to use our studio. Thank you. Uh, and then uh, we also have a statewide newspaper called Capital Connection. Uh, and we, you know, the, the point of that, the distribution is around 30,000 people, and the point of that is to let people know what's going on in Raleigh. Um, because people go home and they look at their local newspaper, they know what happened at City Hall, and they watch Fox News or CNN or whatever, and they know what happened in Washington, but they have no idea what happened in Raleigh. And so we think that we're sort of filling that gap on state policy and state politics.
0: And I see in debate a lot that people really like to separate local, state, and federal policy. How intertwined are those things, and what kind of things can you shift in, in state policy that would sort of not... Like, I know everything's interrelated. I'm just asking how interconnected are these things? Because for debaters, it's really helpful to be able to separate these sometimes and, and see the sure. exclusivity there. So,
1: yeah. Sure. Uh, well, <laughs> they're all, to your point, very interconnected, and it all sort of depends on what, what you want to talk about. On the topic of education, uh, it's almost impossible to, sub- to separate uh those 3 because you know the, the state uh essentially administers the public education system in North Carolina but if they don't do certain things, then there are billions in federal funding that they won't get. Uh, and at the same time, the state controls a, a lot of what you know local school boards and those elected officials can do. Uh, you know, school calendars uh, it, it are a good example. And you know, they may not sound like a big deal, but when we have you know hurricanes hitting the state and snowstorms hitting the western part of the state, and schools are out for you know weeks at a time, that really affects the school calendar. And how far into the summer do people? Uh, have to uh, go to school and that sort of thing, and people want that flexibility with their own local school system, but will the state give them the freedom to do that, and if the state does give them the freedom to do that, are they hitting the minimum amount of, amount of days that the federal government requires to get all the federal oh, funding? Yeah. It gets really complicated. So
0: that's, a, that's a mess, and I can, I can imagine that these policies hardly ever align with each other with all the different needs that every individual state would have. So, I mean, I can see how that would be... Oh, oh,
1: absolutely. And every state does have individual needs. Every community has individual needs, which is part of why we talk about, you know, why, you know, smaller... And more localized government is more important because it's able to adjust to the needs of its community better.
0: And North Carolina, I know, has a really divided state government, as it is now. Actually, we have a Republican legislature and a Democratic Mm -hmm. governor. So what role do you think that plays in our ability to make state policy decisions? And does that make it extremely difficult to get things done with that kind of um, diversity? Well, you know,
1: in in the lecture talk, I I, uh, said that, you know, we don't need to argue less in American politics. We need to argue more, but we need to argue better. Uh, and, I agree. And, completely agree. And right now I think we have uh, terrible argumentation going on between the General Assembly and the governor. Uh, it, there are p- partisan pot shots going on all over the place. Uh, now, we can talk about whose fault it is and all that, and I think everybody probably has an opinion, but these guys need to figure out how to argue better uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, some things that need to get done uh, are not going to get done. And, you know, I, as we were going into this weekend and Hurricane Dorian was coming on the coast of North Carolina Um, I was, because obviously, I work at a think tank, this is what I was doing, I was looking at the last general fund report from the state controller, and I saw that there's still $328 million in Hurricane Florence. Disaster recovery. Front. Oh man. And Hurricane Florence hit September 8th of last year.
0: So that's it stacks up and really so, fast. Yeah, so
1: like instead of us like trying to throw pot shots at each other, let's talk about why is there still $328 million for storm recovery from a storm from last year, which implies to me, and I don't know this to be the case, but it implies to me that there are still people probably living in FEMA trailers whose businesses haven't been rebuilt and all that sort of thing. You know, that, that's not good government. But we're not talking about that. Instead, we're talking about all this other stuff yeah. uh, that, that isn't relevant to the daily lives so there's immediate needs that
0: need to be met so right yeah and I can't I can't imagine living in a trailer for you know over a year and then having another hurricane I guess it's yeah. part well, of the well, you know, plenty of,
1: of people live in mobile homes but they make them their permanent homes right well, FEMA trailers were not meant to be permanent they're just temporary homes absolutely yeah.
0: so I, I can't imagine because I guess that's one of the drawbacks of being a coastal state you have to face those policy decisions so it's yeah. even more important for us to be able to to have policies go through and go through in an efficient manner Absolutely. even when our government is divided and I can <laughs> see that the the role that debate plays that you were just talking about we need to argue more so how do you feel that policy debate has helped you be able to argue better or having practiced it in college when you're in a when you founded the Civitas Institute mm-hmm. when you're a partner with um, the American Enterprise <coughs> Institute how has debate influenced that? Sure so
1: I mean the it's more practical than you would think. So when you put together uh, an affirmative plan uh, in, in policy debate, you, know, you set up sort of uh, the, the uniqueness. This is the, this is the status quo of the current situation that we have. Here are the harms from the current situation, or, or sometimes people call those advantages. Then you put together a plan however long you, you want your plan to be. And then, like, here's the solvency. Here's how we get to uh, enforcing that plan. And that that's essentially what I do every day at the Syracuse yeah, Institute. just that's, make
0: affirmative plans all day that's long. That's right. That's wow. how
1: that's how public policy is done. And then on the negative side, you know, when, when I disagree with other policies that have been presented, Medicaid expansion being an example uh, that, you know, Governor Roy Cooper has put out, uh, you know, instead of rebutting I – mean, I can rebut some of his claims about health care directly – uh, but then I can also talk about counterplans. Like, here are some alternatives to get to the same place that might be better. Um, there can be sort of philosophical critiques that you see in a lot of college debate uh, uh, about, you know, here here are the problems with the mindset that you have uh, setting this up and the implications of maybe not on this policy, but how that sets us up down the road and how mm-hmm. we talk about it. Uh, and so, yeah, policy debate is uh, has been a great tool for me. Obviously, I'm not talking at 300 words a minute like I did in college, uh, but at least the mental construct has been phenomenal
0: and have you heard of the it's the negative or the it's it's the affirmative because i've never done policy so i'm a little bit um rusty on these topics as well there's something called perming the plan, where mm-hmm. one side will just say, like, involve the other side. But right. it's like, okay, we could just do both. What do you think of that? Because yeah. I, I just learned about this at the, the Coolidge Cup, like the most recent Coolidge Cup. Right. So that's just, that was mind-blowing to me because I didn't even think of that. So Yeah,
1: we- you can so, so, sort of do a permutation. And, and that's generally an affirmative answer to a negative counter plan or sometimes a negative critique okay. of, you know, there's no reason why the, the counter plan and the original plan are mutually exclusive. Uh, And so I'm I'm trying to think of of an example. One one counter plan that people brought up all the time in college, it didn't matter what you did, what your plan was, they wanted to consult Japan on it. Okay. That, 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 That we would consult Japan and, you know, our agreement with Japan would be binding in that. And so the permutation would be, well, let's... Let's just do both. Let's do the plan. We'll consult Japan on it, and we're still going to do the plan anyway. And so we get all the affirmative advantages plus all the advantages of, of the counter plan. And sometimes that's handy in, in policy debate or in, in you know, real-life public policy debate. Uh, and then sometimes you can't really get it done. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, healthcare is an example uh, of that where you know you have one side of the debate that actually wants to expand the size and role of government. Uh, and we'll call that the affirmative, and the negative side says, well, no, but here are all these other alternatives that don't expand the size of, of government. You
0: can't yeah. perm that.
1: Yeah, now, yeah. the other side will say, well, yeah, let's do both. Let's let's reform stick of knee laws and all these other regulations while we expand Medicaid. But from a negative standpoint, or, you know, from the Civitas standpoint, I'd be like, but we're still expanding the size and role of <laughs> yeah. government, and that's a problem. Uh, and so that, that's how, you know, that that's how counter plan debate would sort of, play out in a, in a competitive policy
0: debate. And I think it's really useful that you being at the top of the Civitas Institute has had you've had this foundation of debate behind it as well because it sounds like it has a, a decent amount of utility even moving into it, out it, of policy. It as absolutely
1: well. does. Um, just the 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 way it trains your mind to think about a lot of things Uh, And the focus, and 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 just getting used to reading public policy literature, which can sometimes be dry. But then you finally find this like one gold nugget in there. You're like, oh, this is just mind blowing. Yeah, this is a great idea, and you really want to start arguing about it. Uh, uh, But I I really miss debate. it added so much value to my college uh, experience. And then even after college, when I was still able to coach, I really enjoyed it. In the my, whole community.
0: Yeah. The things that I love most, like when I'm reading those long documents, because this was, it's not a policy debate, but it's a policy resolution, mm-hmm. is reading those things and like the mindset that you said with the philosophical implications, mm-hmm. do those, are those still relevant in policy debate? Because I know a lot of policy debaters will stay away from that kind of thing because it, it doesn't really have too much of a place in the round. But I am, I love philosophy and i it's kind of my thing. So I want to know, sure. does this transfer over as well?
1: No. No, it absolutely transfers over, and so you have, um, it, for whatever reason, uh, in collegiate debate they use the German spelling of critique. So With instead a K? of yeah, okay. so it's K R I T I K, and for short, in you know, like in round, people just call it the K. Um, and uh, you have a lot of strict policy debaters who will just debate the policy and they'll lay out a plan, basically like I just did, and then you have uh, what are just called K debaters who, eh. They don't really want to get into the hardcore policy of everything, but they they want to talk about sort of the philosophical implications and why those are dangerous or maybe not dangerous uh, in a lot of things. Uh, and uh, you, you see teams that win and win big at both. Um, and, and it's funny because you can kind of guess, based on what university people come from, how they're going to debate. I've it's, seen people do so that. So like, yeah. like Georgia and Michigan State and even Liberty University are more of the traditional policy side debate. But then you like get Idaho State – and, uh, uh, you know, some of the um, California schools like Berkeley, and they get, you know, very K-ish type debate. Uh, and, and, again, you can see success with both. I think probably the most successful debaters are the ones that can do kind of both mm-hmm. and, and answer both. Uh, and those are the ones that end up winning sort of, you know, the national championships.
0: Okay. So I'm going to shift topics a little bit here because I want to go back to the um – like the the foundation or the structure of the Civitas Institute as well. Mm-hmm. What is your role as being CEO? What is your job and what like kind of your day to day for <laughs> what you do for the Civitas? Institute? Uh,
1: literally, my day. N- none of my days are the same. Okay. Uh, none of them are. Uh, my my job sort of runs the gamut of uh, checking in with our policy team. Uh, and, and sort of uh, setting a uh, vision and goals for what we want to talk about in, in terms of public policy. But then we're a nonprofit as well, right? So I have to raise money. Right. Uh, I've got a director of development who helps with that. Um, we, we have operations. We just moved our offices this week, and so setting up all the operations for that. So where
0: is the location? Uh,
1: so we're, we're just off Spring Forest Road. I can't remember our new Literally, we moved like day just before now. yesterday. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, but we're off Spring Forest Road. um uh, Uh, not far from the intersection with Falls of Noose. Okay. Uh, But it's on our website. If people want to check it out, it's at nccivitas.org. And I know the new address is on the website. Yeah. Um, But uh, uh, on top of all the other things that I've talked about that Civitas does, um, uh, we do one more unique thing is that we do uh, 8 to 10 uh, statewide public opinion polls uh, every year. Okay. And so we... We have to put the polls out in the field. We work with Harper polling out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I was about to
0: say, how do you put a poll together for an entire yeah. state? Because that's, yeah. not, that's not something you see every day, for
1: no, sure. No, no. So we... We we write the polls and get the questions all written up. Uh, it's typically 25 to 30 questions, uh, and then uh, we work with Harbor Polling, who actually executes the poll. They do they get all the calls done and they tabulate the results and get and get it back to us. And so we ask questions all the time, um, political questions. What do you think about this race, that race? Who would you vote for? But you know, how do you you know? Do you think that the direction of the country is in the right direction? Is it off on the wrong track? What do you think about the state? Job approval ratings for the president, and the governor. And then we ask policy questions. So we've got a poll in the field right now, actually, that we've got a few questions about uh, trade tariffs uh, because we're in a trade that's, war with China. Yeah, uh, And then we've got a few questions about uh, gun control and gun violence and, and you know how people think um, that should be handled. And, and that's and been and a massive topic of
0: discussion, discussion too, Absolutely, in the Democratic debates. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: it's been it's been a massive topic of discussion. I'm kind of curious to see how the gun questions will come back, uh, just because um, one of the questions is, do you think that uh, uh, do you think that we'll see a decrease in gun violence if we have stricter gun laws? And I'm I'm I, honest to goodness not sure how that's going to come back. Because um, North
0: Carolina does change on certain topics as well. We voted different ways in the past are we, we do. correct me if I'm wrong if we're one of those battleground states or those we are those we're ones? a
1: battleground state or a okay. bellwether state uh, you know the the three sort of battleground states you'll you're going to continue to hear about probably for the next six to eight years will be Florida North Carolina and Wisconsin okay uh, and sometimes they'll throw Ohio in there but Ohio is kind of a, a bear politically to deal with uh but you know we're, we're going to continue to be a battleground state so if you're tired of seeing political ads in the mail or on tv i'm sorry <laughs> it's going to keep uh, happening it's going to keep it's happening consistently. And just get ready for 2020
0: yeah i see them on my tv all the time and it's mm-hmm. it's really cool to see the behind the scenes behind these things too because i'll go the first step that i do for my debate cases i don't know if this is the same for you is because i do ld or and, and for coolidge as well i'll go to all the think tanks I can think of mm-hmm. and then type in the topic in the search bar mm-hmm. and then read up because I, I like to get the the gist of what I'm arguing about. Right. But these, and I read these things all the time about the polls that these institutes do and the, and the surveys that they have and all the answers that they get. Right. But now we, we can actually gain like an understanding of how they work because the Civitas Institute you were just saying just sends out the polls and then, you can make articles based. I'm assuming you make articles based on the polls, and you have outreach that. Right. Yeah, to that.
1: we'll we'll do analysis on the polls. We we release the polls fully, so they're okay. they're all on our website, uh, and uh, you know, people can take a look at all that. the The hard part about putting the poll together is the part that um, the, the Harper Polling does for us is that you make sure that the demographics are right. Are you getting the oh, right number of yeah. registered Democrats, the right number of registered Republicans, unaffiliated is the right percentages of men, women, African Americans, and they ask whites, about Hispanics. that all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, you're you're never gonna hit exactly on those percentages, but if you if you can get as close as possible, it's better. And then trying to weight uh uh you know the the regions in the state so you know you don't want to have too many people in Charlotte taking the poll too many people in Raleigh you need to have enough people in Greenville and in Asheville taking the poll Uh, but uh, Harper does a pretty good job of that Uh, but that's something to watch out for when people look at these national polls uh, because you know how many of the calls were done in California how many were done in New York how many were done in North Carolina Uh, and a a California New York poll looks a lot different than a poll that includes Texas and North Carolina and Kentucky so okay. uh, just just be mindful of that of, of sort of the the regional demographics when you look at these
0: national polls. So for a state poll, would you say that if you get the democrat the demographic as correct as or as even as possible mm-hmm. would this be? an accurate insight as to the, the political environment of the, the country as it stands, or do you think people lie on the polls a lot? Because I know, I know some people think, oh, polls aren't reliable. It's just opinions, and people are in some moods some day, some moods another day. Sure. So how reliable um, would you say the results I, are? I think
1: overall poll, polls are pretty reliable. Now, people always point back to the 2016 election that all showed Hillary Clinton up and all that, um, but there, there are two things to remember. One, uh, polls are not predictive, Polls are a snapshot in time. Polls aren't, this is what's going to happen on Election Day. Polls are, this is how people answer the question August 1st through the 8th of this year. That's all they are. Okay. Uh, and that gives you an idea of what people are thinking, but it doesn't tell you what they're going to do. Uh, the second thing is uh, the, the press plays a big role in, in politics. And uh, we ran into this phenomenon in the 2016 presidential election that people were just ashamed to say they were going to vote for Donald Trump. Now, I'll fully admit, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I didn't vote for president because I just wasn't comfortable doing that. Uh, But, you know, you had um, uh, people called them leaners. You know, you would ask them who they were going to vote for, and they would lean in and whisper
0: and say, Donald Trump.
1: and so, but when people finally got to the ballot box and were actually to, able to honestly say, this is who I'm going to vote for, well, Donald Trump ends up winning. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're we're starting to get past that some, but uh, you can still see why people would be skeptical of polls. But, you know, if people don't answer honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we can only do what we can do, but we expect that people will
0: answer honestly in the aggregate. So do you, do you think those leaners or those people that are afraid to say that they're voting for Donald Trump would say so because then the media would portray him in a light that they don't want to be associated with? Because you said the press had a large role. So I'm wondering, what do you think makes people afraid of of articulating something like that?
1: Well, you know, when
0: a lot of the polls are
1: live caller polls. You're talking to a live person. Um, you don't know if it's being done for a political candidate and that sort of thing. Sometimes, particularly as you get closer to election season, uh, and honestly, you don't want to be berated uh, for your political opinions. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get too political in your podcast, but yeah. you know, when you have when you have a presidential candidate get up and say that you know half of all Donald Trump supporters are just these deplorable people, well, that's you know that's a good third of the country. You don't want to be associated with uh, that, right? And, and so, of course, people didn't vote for Hillary Clinton when they're called deplorable, but Of course, they're not comfortable talking about their opinion either because that means that all Hillary Clinton supporters, which is a good chunk of the country as well, think that they're just deplorable people. And you don't want to have that conversation. And that's what I mean by – we're going full circle on this, but that's what I mean by arguing better. We argue a lot, but we argue terribly in American politics because we call each other deplorable. But – you've never been convinced and I've never convinced. Nobody's ever been convinced of an argument by being degraded like that. Right. Like, oh, I'm de- you're right. I'm deplorable. I'm convinced all of yeah. a sudden. That's not a thing. Yeah. We need to argue better, not less. We need to argue better. And calling people deplorable, calling people names isn't good. And,
0: and quite honestly, President Trump's not good at that either. So you could say that debate isn't only important for just those that make policy, policy decisions, but for those on the other side of the spectrum as well, where the voters and the citizens as well Absolutely need to be able to articulate ideas and critically think about ideas as well. That That's
1: absolutely right you right. You know, Benjamin Franklin, when he walked out of Independence Hall after they had uh, agreed to the Constitution, the lady came and asked her, or asked him, you know, uh, what do we have, Mr. Franklin? He said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Uh, and, and the if you can keep it part is critical, right, that we have to be engaged citizens as part of a republic. And if people aren't engaging, uh, then none of it really matters. Uh, and, and we may as well, you know, just have autocrats who just come back into their position every year. But it, it is incumbent upon us to be able to think critically about public policy. So
0: any, of the, any of you that are listening right now and are on the fence about trying debate, debate is important. And even though it looks, maybe it looks like a lot of work or a little bit unattractive on the outside because it's a very academically rigorous um, activity it really does have importance when it comes to learning how to vote, even if you're going to be a policy, like making policies. So if you're thinking about trying to debate, definitely go in and, and do it. And I'm going to mention your podcast one more time. You said it's called Civitalk?
1: Civitalk. Okay. Talk.
0: Okay. And Olden you can word. find that on most major platforms? As yeah.
1: Well? Yeah. We're on Spotify, Google Play, and uh, Apple iTunes.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, um, Donald, thank you so much for joining me for this interview. I really appreciate it. I've had a great time. Everybody, if you want to find the Civitas Institute, you said that's at nccivitas.org. nccivitas.org. If you have any questions about this interview for, um, for either Donald or for me, for Josh then you can email us at res at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. Check out our website. That's www.whatstheres.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at whatstheres underscore. And finally, just one last time, I want to mention our premium debates that we have open. If you would like to join um, our What's the Res premium debates, you could do so, and I'll put the link in the description as well. What you'll get for $3 a month or $30 a year is a list of premium debate episodes you can listen to, which is real debates between real people, What we're doing is trying to spark debate between um, different individuals and our goal is to help discover just a little bit more of the truth. And again, you can do so at $3 a month or $30 a year year, and you'll get the premium debate as well as an analysis episode, which is like a play-by-play where you can listen to the debate from a debater's perspective. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.